Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this moment and the opportunity that we have to not only sing, but to sit underneath the preaching of your word, God, because as we're gonna see today, we do not wanna live by our own authority. God, we want to live underneath your authority in our lives, and your not only ability to command us, God, but your right to do so. And so God, help us to understand that reflecting you is not only what you ask of us, but it is also what will bring us the most joy and satisfaction in this life. Because if you are the author and creator of, of life, then God, you know how to live it to the fullest. And so God, we thank you again for this opportunity to have the word transform us. And God, that's what we pray that will happen. I pray that you would, as always, help me to communicate this in a way that honors you first and foremost, and then is helpful to us. And God, we know that that can't happen without the power of your Holy Spirit. So would you fill us now with your spirit, God, to help us to see and to hear this word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you got a Bible with you, you can turn to John chapter 14. We've been in this chapter now for three weeks, and if you were here last week, maybe for the first time, and, and you're back now, welcome back, or maybe uh, you haven't been in a while, and you're just kind of getting caught up with us, but we've been in the Gospel of John now for really, like Pastor David said, since it's been written. We've been in it for a while, and um, the goal of, of just hanging in it for quite some time is to really let the truth in it have an effect in our lives. And that's why we've just been taking a few verses as we go through to help not only understand what it means for us, but, but we believe that if we understand it, then it can have transformative effects in our lives. And I believe that what Jesus said over the last two weeks, and if you haven't been here, you can go back and watch those, but I believe the, the truths of what he said the last two weeks are such foundational things and really what we need probably more than ever before in our lives in this century is to understand that A, we can trust Jesus. That's what he told us three weeks ago in the very first part of John chapter 14. And the reason why we can trust Jesus is because he tells us the truth. And so trust is based on truth, and Jesus is the truth. That's what we talked about last week. And so these foundational verses from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, again, if you haven't watched those, you can go back and watch those. If you haven't read those verses in a Bible before, I strongly encourage you to read them because it is what we need today. Really, the antidote to anxiety in our culture today are those foundational verses. Trusting Jesus because he says the truth. And now what we're going to see today, which is what happens for a lot of us, we hear those things and we kind of have a similar response to what one of the disciples is going to say today. Philip, like that's not enough. We need more. Those two ideas of trusting Jesus because he is the truth. A lot of times if we're honest, it's like, yeah, but I need you to show me something. I can't just believe that you said that. I need you to show me something. And that's what we're going to see today from the disciple named Philip. Now, again, if you were here last week, I told you, I think Thomas always gets the bad rap. 
In fact, we put a, an adjective onto his name and now we call him Doubting Thomas. And I don't think that's very fair because there's a guy named Philip who Jesus chastises more than Thomas, but we didn't give that sucker a nickname. And I think we should. And here's why. Look at verse eight. Philip said to him, that'd be Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, I, again, joke about this quite often, but pastoring is so much like parenting because the idea of pastoring is you're shepherding a group of people. And Jesus is called the good shepherd and we are called his sheep. And one of my favorite things now, I don't get on social media often, but one of my favorite things is to watch these videos of, of crazy sheep and what they do. I'm like, yeah, that's who we are. That's how the Bible describes us. Because when it comes to pastoring or parenting sheep, you understand something. And those of you who are parents can understand almost the visceral frustration that Jesus has here. I mean, how many times have you told your children something for them to only do the exact opposite moments later. And you're like, still we're doing this? Still I'm telling you, pick up your clothes? I mean, in my house, it's like my children have an allergy to turning off light switches. <laughs> I don't get it, y'all. Wet towels on carpet, I don't understand it. Eating in their room, I, I mean, I'm like, seriously? You're 18 and we're still doing this? You're almost 13 and I mean, I don't, uh, uh. This is when I, again, I think, I mean, Jesus was nice to Thomas, but, but Philip here, it's like Jesus feels like punching him in the face and I can relate. He's like, have I not been with you this long? Because you need to understand what Philip does here. It's not that Philip, watch this, Philip doesn't ask Jesus to show them the Father. He commands it. In fact, this is a command. When he says, show us, it is written, I'll tell you this often in the Greek, in the imperative mood, which is a command. So Philip isn't, hey, Jesus, it would be great if you could. Philip says, no, show us the Father. He commands Jesus. I don't know if you've ever, I mean, I, I talk about this often, but I have a very large and in charge father and I was the youngest of three. And there would be times when my brother or sister would say something to him and I would cower back like, oh, they're about to die. <laughs> I mean, you just imagine being one of these people that hears Philip command Jesus. If I was there, I'd be like, oh no, he didn't. Ooh, watch out for that lightning, you know? I mean, the audacity to command Jesus. And what's even crazier is this phrase here. He says, that will be enough for us. The word there, enough, means adequate or sufficient. Here's, in essence, what Philip just said. Hey, Jesus, we like you, but you're not enough for us. You are not enough. If you would just show us the Father, then that would be enough. And those two words there for us is literally the Greek word ego, 
Where do you think we got our English word that corresponds to that? What word? What word do you think? Yeah, ego. You guys are smart. And if you've read any psychology, you know, ego is, you know, that, that yourself. You know, they talk about the ego, the id, all that kind of stuff. Imagine the ego it must take to tell Jesus he's not enough. Imagine that. Now, before we get on our high horse looking down at Philip here, if we are honest, it's not that hard to imagine, is it? Because how many times have we told Jesus he wasn't enough? Now, you may not have prayed, Jesus, you're not enough. But you might have insinuated and what you were asking him to do for you, that himself was not enough, you needed this thing too. I mean, how many times have we asked for a sign? Lord, if you just give me a sign. I mean, you made those clouds up there. If you could just rearrange them, you know. We, we got billboards, Lord. If you could just give me a billboard. Just... Give me a sign, and that'll be enough. So you can understand Jesus' frustration here because Philip is not only commanding Jesus as if Jesus works for Philip, but in his commanding, he's saying to Jesus, You're not enough, you're not adequate, you're not sufficient. I need you to show me more. And I don't know if Philip was from Missouri or not. You know, the show me state. One of the guys in our church last week was telling me about that. I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. How often are, are we like Missourians? Is that what you call them? Those of you from here? All right. Where we say to him, show me. Because what you have shown me is not enough. I mean, thank you for going to the cross and all that. But that's not enough to show me. So it's understandable that Jesus would get frustrated. But what Jesus says back to him is so important to understand. And again, I've said this to you for the last several weeks now. It's unbelievable what Jesus says back to him. And by unbelievable, I don't mean it's not believable. I just mean no one ever talked like this before. Because when Jesus says back to Philip, is not only is the foundational Christian belief, but it is utterly unique in all the religions of the world. Jesus didn't say, Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen someone like the Father. If you've seen me, then I've, I've done my best to show you, to tell you about him. No, Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this is why it annoys me at times when people say, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God. I'm like, did you read the Bible? Because that's what he just claimed. He just said, listen, I am equal with the Father. 
And father contextually means God. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And that's why he says, how can you say, show us the father? Now he goes on, look at this, verse 10. He says, do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his work. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Now, again, here's what's amazing to me. This word in is a preposition of location. It means it's located in. And so what's crazy is Jesus says, listen, the father is in me and I am in him. Now, we understand this somewhat genetically. And, and please understand anything that I use metaphorically to describe Jesus, it's going to fail because we're using human language. It's called anthropomorphic language to describe a non-human God. So we're doing our best to explain it, which is why any example always fails to fully and adequately explain who he is. But I do think they are helpful to think about metaphorically speaking. And so we understand genetically, like my son, before my son was born, he was in me. Like who he is came from me and his mother. And so he was in us before he was born. And now that he is born, we are in him, genetically speaking. He is simply a byproduct of us, which is how you can tell he's my son because he's got big old thighs and a big backside, big frame. And we always joke when, when he was uh, born, I was like, I hope he's big like me and looks like his mama. Because if he's smaller like her and looks like me, he ain't got no shot. But you get the, the idea, right? He's, we are in him and he was in us. Now, the reason why that fails is because there was a time where Jackson wasn't, but there was never a time when Jesus wasn't. But there's, there's a sense, and again, we are made in the image of God. And so, so there's a sense that who we are, we are imaging him. And so therefore we can understand somewhat of who he is by just understanding how we work but what's even crazier is, yes, I mean, if we would use the word genetically speaking, Jesus is in the Father, the Father is in Jesus, but there was never a time that one of them wasn't, they've always been. And Jesus, trying to explain here to Philip the supernatural reality of the essence of the being of God, we would now call it the Trinity, even though the word Trinity is not in your Bible. The doctrine is there, which stands for God is one God and three persons. One God, three persons. Now, what's phenomenal about this is Jesus is talking here, again, about the Trinity, how it works, who God is, and he speaks in such a way where he says, and he says this phrase, I don't speak on my own authority. I don't speak on my own authority. And when he says that, he's giving an explanation 
of how the Godhead works. And what's really cool to me is this phrase, on my own, in the Greek is what's called a reflexive pronoun. A reflexive pronoun. Now, think about this. When something is reflexive, so you flex and then you reflex. If you've never had a physical, or if it's been a minute since you've had one, when you go to the doctor's office and you sit on that, you know, kind of bed chair thing, and you're sitting on the edge and your legs are hanging off, the doctor will hit you right there and they're looking for what? Your reflexes, right? Which a reflex is a response to a stimulus. So if they hit right there and your leg goes, right? That's a reflex. Let's go a step further. So a reflex is a response, but it's also the concept of an idea of a reflection. It's reflecting something. So here's what I want us to help visualize. Jesus is a reflection of the Father. In fact, if you want to take notes, you might want to write down this first point. Jesus is the reflection of the Father, and his words and works are a witness of the Father's presence. Jesus is a reflection of the Father. Paul said in Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, I'm gonna do my best to explain this to you, you might have noticed, but I got an object here on stage and it's a mirror. And I'm gonna do my best not to blind everybody in the audience, but I wanna explain something to you, show you something here, which again, understand, even though I'm using this as a metaphorical picture, it still fails to completely adequately describe God, but I'm gonna do my best. So if something is a reflection, right? You have the image, you have, there we go. Well, you have me, you have the, object, the person, and then you have the mirror image of me. So if I wave, there we go, my reflection's waving, right? If I move, wax on, Wax off, right? Oh, I got in front of the mirror. There we go. I am moving, and my reflection is moving. Because this is simply just a reflection of me, right? Now, what Jesus is saying is he's a reflection of the Father. So everything that Jesus says is reflective from what God said. If he said it, it's because God said it, and he's just reflecting it. If he did it, it's because God did it, and he's just reflecting it. Now here's what's crazier. Here's where my image here isn't fully adequate because this mirror is an inanimate object, correct? Does this mirror have any decision about whether or not it reflects me? It's not sitting there thinking, well, you did wax on and I wanted to do wax off. You did high and I wanted to do another hand gesture. And and you guys are sinful because I know what you thought of. (laughs) I didn't even have to say it. Here's what's crazy. Jesus is the mirror 
But he's not an inanimate object. He's a living being. He's a living being. And yet, he is reflecting everything that his father is doing. He can choose. And, and, and the best way I've ever heard a theologian describe it is, you have the father is this, the son is this, and the actual light, like going back in between, is the spirit. So that's the trinity. You got the father, you got the son, you got the Holy Spirit going in between. Three persons, one God. And so what makes Jesus utterly unique is everything he says and everything he does is a reflection of the Father. So what he's saying to Philip is, if you see the, my reflection, is that reflection me? Yes or no? Come on now, you guys. Yes, that's me. That's me. So if you see my reflection, you've seen me. If you heard my reflect, if my reflection could speak, you've heard me. So what Jesus is saying here to Philip is, I am the reflection of the Father. What Jesus does is he is looking at the Father all the time and they are moving together. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So that's what Jesus says to Philip. How can you say, show us the Father? All you have to do is look at the Son. See, the Bible describes it like this. Jesus, or, or God revealed himself to us in Jesus. I love how Hebrew says it. He says, in the former days, he spoke through prophets, but in these last days, he has spoke through his son. And the Bible says everything in the Old Testament was a shadow pointing forward to the real thing. And if you know how shadows work, shadows are a reflection of light shining on some object. And so you're seeing Light refracting off of that object and whatever it is shows you what the object is. And so all the Old Testament were shadows pointing forward to who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the true reflection of God the Father. So here's the good news, church. God is like Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what the Father is like, Look at Jesus, because Jesus is simply the reflection of the Father. Now, here's where it gets even crazier to me. Jesus goes a step further than this. In fact, let me give you the second point, and then I'll show you the verses to hopefully prove what I'm trying to say. We are to be a reflection of Jesus, and our words and works are to be a witness of Jesus' presence. We are to be a reflection of Jesus. 
So what that means is, if Jesus waves, I wave. If Jesus walks, I walk. What Jesus says, I say. Because we're just a reflection of him. Look at what he says next. This blows me away. Look at verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Can you believe that? Can you believe that Jesus just said that? Let's put this down. Jesus just said, you believe in me? You're gonna do greater works than I did. Now, I've seen some pretty amazing people in my day, but I've never seen anybody bring someone else from the dead. I've been to some parties in my day, but I've never seen anybody say, hey, fill up the bathtub because I'm about to turn that into some wine. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could? So I don't think Jesus is saying, remember this is Jesus speaking, I don't think Jesus is saying here greater in degree in the sense that we're somehow going to do greater degrees of work than Jesus did. Because let's be honest, there is things that Jesus did that we can't do because we're not God. So what is he saying? I don't think it's greater in degree. You know, there's the, when we talk about something being greater, is it greater in quantity or quality? I think Jesus' works were greater in quality, but what he's getting at here is our works will be greater in quantity. Because Jesus was one man in one place in time in human history. Although he could speak and something could be done elsewhere, he was still confined to one part of the world and one point in time in human history. And what Jesus is saying now He is the only image. He is the only reflection of the Father. And how do we know that he's the only image of the Father? He says in verse 11, believe on the works themselves. No one did the works that Jesus did. So you believe the works and you believe the words. But now, see, Jesus is the only image of the Father, but there's not just one image of Jesus on the planet today. Jesus is the only visible image of the invisible God, but Jesus has billions of his mirrors all over the world. See, the reason why Jesus said, you're gonna do greater works, is he says, you're no longer limited by space and time. It's not just one person doing a set of works at one place at one time. Now by the spirit of God, which is where we'll go next week in verse 15, which is how I think this connects. See, the spirit was on Jesus, but now after he resurrects, the spirit is about to explode in the book of Acts on all of Jesus's mirrors. And now they will have the the ability and the power to speak and to do works in quantities that Jesus could never do. 
And don't hear me saying never do as in like he was incapable of doing it. But what I'm saying is the plan of God was to always take the spirit of God and multiply it into more. So Jesus says, we will do greater works than he did. That's crazy to think about. You say, well, how do I do those greater works then? Well, Hebrews tells you, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, let me ask you a question. Can I reflect Jesus very well if I'm not looking in the mirror? I can't reflect what I'm not looking at. So if Jesus moves this way and I move this way, well, that's not a reflection. No, don't get all technical. Actually, it's the opposite. It's not, you know what I'm saying? I can only reflect what I'm looking at. So here's what I want us to think about. Then now I can tell what you're looking at by what you say and what you do. I can tell what you're looking at by what you say and what you do. See, Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority. I'm reflexive. I reflect what I hear. This is why last week when we were talking about truth, you need to understand something. The moment we think that truth is not something that we discover that God says, but it's something we create, then we are now operating in our own authority. We are no longer living reflexively. How crazy is it if the mirror says, you know what, I'm tired of being the mirror. I don't want to be the man in the mirror. Heard a song about that once. I want to be the man. I don't want to be the man in the mirror. I don't want to be the one who's reflecting Jesus. I want to be the one who's controlling the words and the works. And this is what makes our society and the human heart particularly evil when we say we are creating our own truth and living within our own ways because what we're saying is, I am now my own God. This is as crazy as the moon saying, I don't want to reflect the sun anymore. You understand that's how our solar system works, right? You got the sun, you got the moon, the moon and the sun are spinning like this. Uh, you know, sun's in the center, we're spinning around it, and the moon and the, and, the, and the earth are rotating around it. That's why the moon and the sky changes, although it's not changing, it's just simply the earth rotating around it, and as it rotates around it, the light from the sun reflects differently. So the moon is always a full moon. We just can't see it because earth gets in the way if you will. It's almost like God built into the solar system the picture of the sun and sin. And here's what I'm telling you. You're the moon. You have no light 
within you. Isn't it interesting? John says Jesus was the light, but the people rejected the light because they loved the darkness. Hmm. See, there's no light in us. It's only darkness because we love the darkness. But the good news of the gospel is the sun is shining. The sun has come. He is the light. And we can reflect it. But just as it would be crazy for the moon to say, you know what? I don't want to reflect the sun anymore. Our whole world would go into chaos. I mean, you understand how much of our world functions off the lunar patterns, waves, deer, and everything. Weather, I mean, so much. But you take that out of its orbit and the world goes into chaos. Hmm. Why is our world so chaotic? It's because human beings said, I don't want to reflect my creator anymore. I am not the image of God, I am God. You see this? See, it's called the Imago Dei. We are the image of God. The mirror is the image. But we broke it. And what is the one thing in a broken world with broken image bears that was needed to bring it right. A new image, which is Jesus. That's why he is the visible image of the invisible God. He came to restore our image. And so what he's saying to Philip is not only if you'll believe me, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But not only that, if you'll trust me and believe that what I'm saying is the truth, I'll restore the image of the Father in you. I'll restore what's broken in you. And you will now be able to do greater works because the image has been restored. The power of the Spirit of God is now flowing from the Father through the Son by the Spirit to you. And you have the power and the ability to do greater works and have greater words. But none of that will come if we live by this mantra of, I speak by my own authority. The mantra of our age, and don't hear what I'm saying as a political statement, it's a biblical one. It's my body. It's my choice. You understand how that is the image saying, I don't want to reflect the Father anymore. Let me just give you a point. Look at verse 13 and 14. These two verses, they, they seem kind of weird until you understand them in context. Jesus says this, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If I was gonna have a top five list of misunderstood verses in the Bible, this would make the list. 
Because again, I've been pastoring people over 20 years and I've had this question a lot. And, and a lot of times it's not nefarious. I mean, when people ask the question, I said, well, I asked God to do this and he didn't do it. And the thing that they were asking for wasn't necessarily bad or wrong. And the lack of the answer leads to a lack of trust in God. And people take this verse and many pastors have wrongly used this verse as a rubber stamp to the genie that is God. And I want you to hear me say this. That's not what he's saying here. In fact, what an indictment it is on our culture that we take this verse to mean God has to do whatever we ask. I mean, those of you that have had children, I open up the message this way. We know our children are sinners because they never stop asking for things that are gonna harm them. Right? Mama, mama, can I have Skittles for breakfast? No. Can I play out there by the road? No. Can I get an Instagram at, at age eight? The answer should be no. Because any parent knows if you constantly say yes to whatever they ask, you're going to create a spoiled brat. And the problem is a lot of us are having to live with y'all's kids. I mean, literally, I mean, I wanted to raise my kids up in the Lord because it's the right thing to do, but I also wanted to do it so I could do the world a favor. See, what an indictment it is on us as the children of God that we have taken this verse as somehow as a rubber stamp that if we just throw Jesus's name on the end of it, he'll give us what we want. If that is not evidence of the brokenness of the mirror, then I don't know what is. But then you say, but it's in there. Yeah, it is in there. And here's why it's in there, I think. Notice he just said, he's the visible image of the invisible God. If you've seen him, you've seen God. And the way that you know that you've seen God is by the works and the words, how he speaks and what he does. You know that he's a reflection of God because only God would be doing those things. And then he just said, if we're in him, We'll speak and do works like he did. And then he says, ask for what I want or ask for what you want and I'll do it. Want for what? That's the key. As Dave, our Canton student minister always says, context is key. It's context. Here's what he said. I will give you whatever it takes for you to have words that sound like me and do good works like I do. I'll give you whatever you need for those two things. I'll give you whatever you need to live your life underneath my authority. I'll give you whatever it takes for my word to take root in your life so that you no longer speak on your own authority like you're your own God, but you are a reflection. Here's what he's saying. I will give you whatever you ask in order to be a better reflection of me. I will give you that. 
I'll give you whatever you ask so that you'll be a better reflection of me. I'll grant the prayer that says, God, help me fix my eyes on you. I'll grant the prayer, God, help my words be a reflection of you. I'll grant the prayer that says, God, help me to go into my place of work and do good works so that they may glorify my Father in heaven. I will grant whatever it takes for those things because that is what it means to be a reflection. You're not living under your own authority and you want to do good works so that the world will believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Which is why in our groups here at Revolution Church, we have one basic mission through relationships, help you reap the word of God, it's a whole method to that, and bless the world. Help you in the word and do good works in the world. That's what our groups are about. Because that's what Jesus is about. That's what being a reflection is about. It shows up in my words and it shows up in my works. And so our whole groups here, this is why they're sermon-based. We go over the same text that we preach on on the weekends. Because what I have found a lot of times, the reason why people love Bible studies is they want someone else to come in and tell them something that then they don't have to go and do. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I think Bible studies are awesome. But when it's based upon just the teacher standing up and saying something, but there's not an expectation that, you know what, we're going to do this together, and then we're going to get up from this and go do something good together, then that's why a lot of us stay stuck. Because we would rather just sit than actually work together to be a reflection. So what we're trying to do here, this, this is what's amazing. What we're trying to do here at this church is really not that complicated. We're trying to help you first and foremost have your image restored by trusting in Jesus and then help you be a reflection of that image to the world. That's it. Love Jesus. Grow people. Let me give you this one last verse. And this comes out of Colossians chapter three, just to show you how this all kind of fits together. Colossians three, verse 17. I already quoted Colossians one. I love Colossians. It's so Jesus-centric. But Paul says this, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul says, listen, it's whatever you do. Whatever you do. And then he qualifies it, word and deed. Word and deed. Jesus said, I don't speak my own authority and I do his works. Whatever you do, word and deed, do it. In the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? Do it as a reflection of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. First and foremost, 
for creating us in your image. God, what makes human beings of all ethnicities valuable is not what we can offer, but it's the image of the one in which we were made. In some sense, God, when we see a human, we are seeing, even though it's a broken reflection, we are seeing the reflection of God. So first, God, thank you for creating us in your image. But then, God, when we destroyed the image, when Adam and Eve no longer lived underneath your authority and your word, and then they did works that were not glorifying to you, when they broke the image, when they destroyed the image, God, thank you that you sent a new image to repair the broken one. You sent Jesus, who is the image of you. You came to us And no other God has ever done that. Every other religion in the world is based upon us trying to get to you, but you're the only one who came to us. And so God, I pray right now for anybody here today that's listening or watching that has never trusted the truth, which is Jesus. And they need that image recreated by trusting in Jesus. I pray right now, God, you'd save them. No one looking around or talking here as we wrap this up. If you're here or listening and you've never trusted in Jesus and you've been living on your own authority, trying to be the image bearer instead of the image of the one whose image that you're bearing, you've never trusted him and be saved, been saved and you can trust him today by just confessing. And you don't have to do it out loud, but you can pray with me. And it goes like this, say, Father, thank you for loving me. That even though I broke your image, in Christ you restored it. And so I confess I'm a sinner. And I'm trusting in Jesus alone to give me his image, to forgive my sins, restore, my life, I ask you to save me, forgive me. No one looking around or talking. If you trusted Jesus for the first time today and you're in one of our physical locations, we just simply lift up your hands so we can see that. We got men and women gonna give you a gift, thank you. In a moment, whether you're online or in person, you can fill out that digital connection card, let us know who you are. But then those of us who again, would say, I have trusted in Jesus. I believe Jesus is the truth. But yet you're living your life not as a reflection. You've been determining what is true. You've been letting your feelings or your desires determine what you do. And I hope you understand today how grievous of a sin that is 
Because if you say, what's well, my body, it's my choice, I can do what I want, then you are playing your own God. And so maybe today there needs to be a confession and a repentance that says, you know what? I need to go back and take my place as the reflection and respond to the truth of God, not act like I am the one who creates it. So for you, that's just simply saying, Father, I am sorry. I want to speak as Jesus would speak. And I want to do works as Jesus would do them, not as I would do them. And Father, we know that you will grant that prayer because Jesus promised it. He would give us whatever we asked based upon what we need in order to be an image bearer, in order to reflect Jesus. You will grant that. So we ask you now to grant that by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.